Hey, it's Amy, and you're listening to Saving Amy, a podcast about a woman rewriting her narrative, creating her own version of happiness, and sharing exactly how she gets there. Hey everyone, happy Sunday, or whenever it is when you're listening to this episode. Maybe it's the morning, the afternoon, the evening, whatever. Right now, I'm just having my lovely morning cup of coffee, and I would love to talk to you about Ashtanga Yoga, specifically how Ashtanga Yoga supports mental health. So I think in my episode where I talked about how Ashtanga keeps me sober, I think this episode I might end up repeating myself a little bit. So just bear with me. If you haven't even listened to that episode, you have nothing to worry about. But Ashtanga yoga does encompass a lot of information, especially if you've never, even people who practice yoga in general, if they're not really familiar with Ashtanga, it can be Hmm, I don't want to say overwhelming, but Ashtanga yoga is quite different from other types of yoga. So today, I really, I think what I want to do is kind of give a brief overview of Ashtanga yoga and then, yeah, just go into kind of how it supports good mental health, how it improves it and all that stuff. So with Without further ado, let's just dive into that because there's no point in me explaining how Ashtanga supports good mental health if I don't really explain what Ashtanga is. <laughs> so I find this kind of funny. Um, there was one day a while, like ages ago, months ago now, where myself and one of my girlfriends, after practice one morning, we went for brunch and we were just stood up in the lineup, you know, talking about her practice and all that kind of stuff. And it dawned on me and her, really. Ashtanga yoga is kind of culty. <laughs> and I will get into that. In the yoga world, um, this friend told me, Ashtanga yoga is the cult. Out of all the different disciplines, um, Ashtanga yoga has that reputation of being the cult out of all of them. So it makes me feel a type of way just because obviously I love Ashtanga. So when I hear those words of someone thinking it's a cult, it kind of makes me sad, but that's okay. (laughs) I feel like as long as we're not killing people, it's fine, you know? (laughs) So like I said, many people don't actually realize there are different styles of yoga. And right now with Ashtanga, I'm only referring to one of eight different limbs of yoga, which is the postures. But we're not going to be talking about that today because that's a whole realm of things that I don't even really know. And I don't feel comfortable talking about things that I really don't know much about. So Ashtanga yoga consists of six different series. And there are essentially three different sections of each series. There's the standing sequence, the middle section, which would be whatever series that you're currently working on, starting with primary, naturally. And then you're going to go into your backbends and closing sequence. So ideally, each student begins primary series with the help of a teacher. So essentially, it's an individualized approach to learning the Ashtanga yoga sequence, but in a group setting. So picture receiving a, you know, a private-ish yoga session, but others are practicing around you at their own pace, doing their own practice. 
So ideally practice is at 6am, but there's no pressure to be on time. It's not a group-based fitness class or a hot yoga studio where it's necessary to arrive at a specific time in order for class to begin. In Ashtanga, really, I will say there's really only two types of classes, a Mysore class and a lead class. A Mysore class is the one where everyone kind of just shows up whenever they want within reason and they start their own practice so we're not practicing together as a group in unison if that makes sense lead class is a little bit different so the teacher is leading us through the series and they're counting everything in sanskrit and we're all like all the students are practicing at the same time doing the same poses at the same time if that makes sense are you still with me? Maybe, maybe not. I'm going to keep going regardless. This is where we get into, I guess, what people could think is the cultiness of it. But that's just, that can be people's opinions. But I will mention the types of things that can make Ashtanga yoga seem culty. <laughs> so eating before class is absolutely not recommended. This practice is best done on an empty stomach. Now, I will say... I think a lot of exercise could actually be best performed on an empty stomach. I actually think it's a terrible idea to eat a huge meal and then go work out. It just seems like a really bad idea. Um, so not eating before class has been a breeze for me because I usually just get up, literally roll out of my bed and go to yoga. So by the time I finish my practice then my body is like, okay, we're hungry now. We're ready to rock and roll. So it works out. So water is actually also not permitted in the Mysore room. And of course, there's exceptions to this. Like if you're pregnant, obviously you're going to have water with you. <laughs> um, so essentially, while you're practicing Ashtanga yoga, there's this internal heat that happens inside your body. So it's said that if, if you drink water throughout your practice, you're just going to put out that heat. And when you drink water, even though it's not food, it does stimulate the digestive system and your stomach is going to think that food is coming. So your body is going to kind of stimulate digestion and that's not what you want. So we always save drinking water for after practice. But realistically, if you're drinking enough water, from day to day, you're really not going to notice um, not being able to drink water during your practice. I found it it was pretty easy. At first, I was like, oh God, I'm not allowed to bring water in with me, but it's actually not that big of a deal. Ashtanga is meant to be practiced uh, six days per week with one rest day, which is pretty vigorous. That's pretty large and in charge. New moon and full moon days are also holidays for Ashtangi. So there's usually a couple days a month where we have a new moon or a full moon. Um, and Ashtanga yoga practitioners do not practice on those days. I'm not exactly sure why. I just know it has something to do with um, the moon and the tides and how we're mostly made up of water and that messes around with things. Not 100% sure. If you're looking for more information, it's probably a good thing to Googleize that one because um, I'm not really 100% sure either. I just follow the rules. <laughs> 
Women are also permitted what's called a ladies' holiday when they're on their period and are encouraged to take multiple days of rest. Um, so I'm not entirely sure if this is exactly why, but this is the gist that I got from the internet. Um, normally, when women are uh, on that time of the month, they can't engage their bandas correctly. And bandas are literally a whole separate thing that I'm not going to go into today. But in the Ashtanga world, bandas are very important. Um, in a nutshell, and I think what I'm saying is correct, again, Ashtanga police do not come for me. One of the bandas is essentially like, you know, when you try to hold in your urine, like to stop the flow of urine, that's one of them, if that makes any sense at all. So when women are on their time of the month, they actually can't engage that banda correctly. And in Ashtanga yoga, they're are a lot of what's called jump throughs and jump backs um, during the practice. And I think you can actually hurt your low back if you can't engage your bandas kind of correctly. So that's, I think, the primary reason why women take a day or two off when it's their time of the month. Castor oil baths are also very much a thing amongst uh, Ashtanga yoga practitioners alike. So I, I haven't done a castor oil bath now in a while, but when I first started practicing, I felt like I really needed to. I didn't know what it was. I think the reasoning for ha doing castor oil baths or showers is to help your body recover from this like vigorous practice. If you're going to get a castor oil bath, you would go to the store and buy a bottle of castor oil, like a small one, and then you come home. You take off all your clothes and you're going to take a little bit of castor oil and you're going to rub it right into the top of your head, like just a little bit, like right into your scalp. And then you're going to take the castor oil and legit slather it all over your body like a thick, it's like this thick, <laughs> clear liquid. I think um, castor oil is actually used as like a natural laxative as well. Like if you were to ingest it, you know what happens when you take a laxative. Um, <laughs> that's pretty self-explanatory. But then you let this castor oil just sit on your body for like a good five to ten minutes. Uh, let it soak in and then you're going to get in the shower and you're going to turn up the water as hot as you can possibly stand it and then you're going to get in the shower and stand there and try to scrub off this freaking castor oil <laughs> that's incredibly hard to get off um, and then once you get out of the shower, you want to be in the shower ideally for like five to 10 minutes. You get out and then you're going to wrap yourself in like the coziest, warmest clothes that you have. So ideally you would do a castor oil bath on like your day off, your rest day. You'll, um, you know, put on these nice comfy clothes. And then for the rest of the day, ideally you want to only consume warm foods and beverages castor oil uh like releases all the heat kind of from your body so you want to stay really nice and warm so i usually find the day after doing a castor oil bath my body is a lot more uh flexible and limber which ashtangis kind of do have to be mindful of because you can kind of overstretch and hurt yourself so I'm always pretty mindful the day of my practice, the day after I do a castor oil bath, because my body could feel a lot more open, but I could actually be injuring myself. So that was a mouthful. <laughs> that was
was a mouthful. Okay, so with all that being said, now we're going to go back and talk about how Ashtanga is really good for mental health. So the first one that I'm going to talk about is how Ashtanga yoga actually stimulates the vagus nerve, which essentially supports a really healthy nervous system. The vagus nerve is responsible for the parasympathetic nervous system, which is associated with things like relaxation, digestion, and regeneration. So things that we don't really have to think about doing, our body just does for us. And I never really knew much about this specifically up until pretty recently. And I've just been watching some YouTube videos and stuff on it. I never really knew what a vagus nerve was. Uh, my teacher asked me that one day and I didn't really know. But I believe it goes from like the, the base of the skull or something or around your neck down to your tailbone. Um, so it's a pretty large and in charge nerve. So Ashtanga yoga from all the forward bends and then the back bends, like you're just constantly um, getting more blood flow and nutrients like all through your spine and just somehow it stimulates the nervous system and it has a calming effect on our body and mind. Science, bitches, okay? <laughs> Ashtanga yoga increases confidence and self-esteem. So this is a no-brainer. When you start learning from the teacher, it's essentially the teacher just passing on the practice to you and you are expected to learn the sequence by memory. And so you'll be doing the same thing every day. So you literally get to watch in front of your eyes, your body open up more and becoming stronger and building more endurance and stamina. You get to literally watch yourself go through this transformation, which is pretty cool. I think so myself. So in turn, by doing this, you literally get to watch your progress. And the way that the Ashtanga series are even laid out is that they build upon each other. So it's kind of like this linear sequence that each pose kind of builds upon the next one. And as you get stronger and you move through the sequence more, it just makes you feel like a badass essentially <laughs> that's, that's all I'm really going to say about that and by increasing your physical strength it will also increase your mental strength so one time my teacher had told me it's very easy to think that we aren't mentally strong if we aren't physically strong and that's something that I think about all the time it's really stuck with me because I do think that when you know when we do feel physically strong and healthy and able we feel a lot more mentally sound. Of course we do because it's like, wow, like my body is strong and like can support me and I'm learning to do these things that I didn't think were ever attainable for me. And slowly with practice and consistency, like those things are happening. So it teaches us that with true discipline and consistency, you can absolutely reach your goals and do anything at all that you want. And you can apply that to your real life. Um, not even just with yoga. I think there's a lot to be learned um, in becoming comfortable in these poses that are so bloody uncomfortable. Many people can look at Ashtanga or look at these poses that different practitioners do and they're like that is just cracked like that looks like something at a Cirque du Soleil I would never be able to do that but listen when that person that you're looking at when they first tried to do that they could not do it that is literally the product of years 
of practice and dedication and consistency and all you're seeing is a picture but what you're not seeing is the literal and I'm not kidding blood sweat and tears that went into getting to that point even though I know I said it in another episode Ashtanga is not about the poses our body is a vehicle and the poses and the series that are presented to us are all it's just a tool like our the poses or asanas that we do is just a tool to teach us a lot more about ourselves and I can say that all day long till the cows come home but unless you begin your own ashtanga practice you're going to think I'm completely out to lunch and I have no idea what I'm talking about but that's okay I can live with that (laughs) So I'm going to use uh, my own experience with the pose called Kapotasana for an example. So uh, just to give you a little visual, a Kapotasana is an intermediate series. It's an incredibly deep backbend. So it's probably the deepest backbend that I do in practice right now, I would assume. And just to picture it, you would start entering this pose by kneeling on your knees And what you essentially end up doing is reaching all the way back and going into a deep back bend so that you can take your hands and you can grab them. Um, You can grab your heels and kind of you create this big arc or circle. Well, not really circle, but you create an arc. I remember when this pose was first given to me, even like three to four poses before this one. So like I knew what was coming. My heart rate would shoot right up. I would become so anxious because I knew what was coming. I knew Kappa was coming and I didn't want to do it. And my teacher, I remember one day, I think she asked me, Amy, what are you scared of? What is the worst that's going to happen? Ego, man. Like this practice will humble the shit out of you because When I really asked myself that question, the answer was, Amy, you're scared that you're not going to be able to do it, but who cares? Because that is not the point of Ashtanga Yoga. So this is when I was first given this pose, this was my train of thought and this is how my mind went. And now, like today, when I go to do Kapitasana, my heart rate doesn't shoot up. I know that I'm going to get there. It's going to be fine. And the worst that could happen is, hey, I I don't catch the pose, but who cares? Because that's not what it's about. And so, yeah, I love to use that as a a little example because I've noticed a huge difference in my mental attitude towards uh, Kapo. So the breath in Ashtanga Yoga is something that will also very much help mental health for sure. And it supports mental health. I'm sure if you've heard of any type of yoga in general, you know, or maybe you have this idea in your mind that it's all about the breath and the kumbaya save the whales and blah, 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 blah. But I have learned that there really is reasoning for that and there is science behind it. Breathing in and out through the nose, which is something that we do in Ashtanga, slows down your heart rate and it calms your mind. So in poses, say, let's use Kapotasana for another great example. So when you're entering that pose, especially for the first times, the breath becomes very shallow and very, I'll just make an example, like, <sighs> because your your body is stressed out. Your body wants to say, get me the F out of this right now. <laughs> 
but this is how it's it's good for your mental health because it artificially stimulates the parasympathetic nervous system and you're essentially putting your body in all these ridiculous poses to help your anxiety because eventually you can stay, you can literally stay in that discomfort and your breath will be calmly in and out through the nose and your breath stays there a bit longer and it's not this shallow exerting uh, breath out through the mouth because essentially what that does, it you'll lose your energy faster that way and I think it actually stimulates the cortisol hormone, which is just not good. It just stimulates the flight or, fr- flight or fight response within you. And so always you really want to try to just breathe in and out through the nose because that is going to help you more mentally than trying to breathe out through the mouth. The environment where you practice Ashtanga Yoga totally makes a difference. When I go to the shala, which you could also refer as like a studio, the vibe is just, uh, it's not like a normal, like it's really not like going to a normal hot yoga studio. Usually there's a music, there's mirrors, there's all these like other sensory things going on. But in an Ashtanga yoga shala, there's no music, there are no mirrors. It is All you can hear are people breathing around you. It's meant to be a a relatively quiet space. So there's no one, um, you know, shouting or it's it's meant to be a very calming uh, space, even though everyone is in a lot of like dress, (laughs) if you know what I mean, like the things that we do. But it's just so beautiful. There's plants everywhere. Even if you come to the shallot and you're in a piss poor mood, because I'm telling you, I have done that many times. Of course, I don't go to practice every day right excited to do it. Sometimes I'm freaking pissed off and I don't want to be there. But at this point, it's like, okay, my practice is like brushing my teeth. So I just do it because I know afterwards I'm going to feel better. But I don't have to have a big smile on my face while I'm doing it. I can literally seethe through it. And that's completely acceptable. But yeah, I really do think the environment really does have an effect on mental health. And I know I did say in another episode, again, me repeating myself, that when I first started practicing at home, I was very, very uncomfortable because I didn't trust my mind and I didn't trust my thoughts. And I wanted to go to the shallow just because I guess I coincided or related a good practice with being in the shala. And I guess I thought I couldn't have a good practice at home. But again, that is just um, a misconception that I just made up at the top of my head. And I, I find a lot of safety and security in knowing that I can actually practice this wherever I want. Like I have a lot of comfort and I take a lot of comfort in that. Um, so personally for me, this practice is teaching me how to regulate my emotions and how to actually feel the negative ones without spiraling. And I can ride out those emotions now and it's done nothing but good for my body and my mind. So there was even a day, I'm going to use this as an example. Last week I was at practice. I was in the middle of practice and I started to feel a type of way and I knew that I was feeling frustration and I knew that I was feeling anger. So in my head I thought, 
Okay, step one, Amy, this is fantastic. You know the emotions right now that you're feeling, frustration and anger. So then I thought to myself, why am I feeling frustration and anger? And then it was, okay, well, you've tried do, doing Dewey Pada twice, which is, uh, in a nutshell, it's like when you wrap both your legs behind your head at the same time. You've tried to do that twice now, and it's not working. And in your mind, your ego was telling you that it should be working, and you're mad. And then I thought oh my God, it's my ego. That's why I'm mad. Because I think that I should be able to do something that I can't do right now. See that word should? That sneaky little frigger. So then I sat there for a minute or two and I I didn't try to ignore the emotions or make them go away. I'm, I literally just thought, I'm just going to sit here with it. And I'm going to feel mad and angry and frustrated for a minute or two. And then I'm going to continue my practice. And that's exactly what I did. And I was so much more, like through this practice, I can kind of nip it in the bud even faster. Um, Something through my entire life. I mean, I was very... I can be very reactionary and if I'm feeling a a bad type of way, like I can spiral very fast or just get very mad and upset and start crying. Um, And when I first started the practice, there have been a few times at the shallow when that is what happened, but I was just a little babe, right? Like these are things that you learn and you know, the way that I used to talk to myself internally when I first started the practice wasn't very kind. It wasn't very nice. Um, It was very judgmental. And now, I mean, I know I'm only a year and a half into this and I have the rest of my life to go. But just the way that I I see it is completely different. And I do not practice Ashtanga because it makes me look a certain way or for the physical benefit of it. That is literally just the icing on the cake at this point. I practice Ashtanga because it keeps my mental health in check. Now... I really do want to reiterate, like, Ashtanga is not the be-all, end-all. It wasn't that, oh, I'm going to join Ashtanga Yoga and my life is going to be great. No, that's literally not at all what happened. My life actually got a hell of a lot worse before it got any better. But it's because Ashtanga was very confronting for me. And again, that is not something that I can really force anyone to believe if they don't practice, right? Yeah, so... I think with all that being said, I I want to make so many different episodes on Ashtanga, but I know that I'm going to have to have certain topics. I mean, I can literally sit here and talk about Ashtanga all day long, but I don't want to just ramble about it. So I figured I would start with this one. And, you know, I did an episode on how Ashtanga Yoga keeps me sober. This one is pretty much about, you know, how Ashtanga Yoga supports mental health. I don't really know what I would like to talk about in the future. But if you're someone who's listening to this and you want to know more about Ashtanga uh, in general, feel free to send me a message. My Instagram is at underscore amy.lin14. Send me a message. I would be more than happy to just send you along any information or give you any information about um, the Shala and send you the Instagram for that. So that's at Ashtanga St. John's if you want to have a look at that on Instagram. It's a beautiful practice. I don't know what else to say. It will transform your entire life. And yeah, man, I hope you guys have an awesome rest of your day. And I will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Saving Amy. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe to this podcast and rate it five stars. I will talk to you soon. Take care.